Hello and welcome to Connect Points podcast and sermon archives. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please go online to our website at connectpointupc.com or follow us on our Facebook page. Thank you very much and I hope you enjoy this week's message. God bless. Keep the faith. Keep the faith. Scripture speaks, and we'll have plenty of scriptures tonight. If you have your Bible near, speaks of the faith often and in many ways, but it is clear as to what the expression is founded upon. It is the gospel message of salvation through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is our faith. Our faith is in him. Our faith is in the cross, in the resurrection. Our faith is in the message that was given to the church. Amen? Amen. Now the Bible lets us know that we can have faith as in the the placement in or the use of faith. In Mark 11 and 22 it says, And Jesus answering said to them, Have faith in God. In Matthew 17 Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Similarly, in Matthew 21, Jesus answered and said unto them, verily I say unto you, if you have faith and doubt not, you shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if ye shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. How many have faith tonight? How many have faith that God can do the miraculous? How many have faith that God can still move and respond? And these are just a few of the powerful illustrations of what is possible when we have faith. But the faith... The faith is our belief and our conviction of salvation in Christ Jesus. The faith is the saving message that can only be found in Jesus Christ. I'm glad that I found that message a long time ago. How about you? I'm not looking anywhere else for my salvation. Is everyone settled on where our salvation comes from? Amen. Scripture speaks of this, and it speaks of mankind's relationship to this faith that we can live in. In fact, we find several mentions of this in Paul's letters and writings to Timothy. He says that he wants to, and he shows us through his writings, that he wants to empower Timothy. He wants to empower Timothy by preparing Timothy. Somebody say preparing. How many know there's power in being ready in advance? Amen. There's power in being ready in advance. And so when Paul is dealing with Timothy, a lot of what he is dealing with Timothy on is things that because of Paul's relationship with God and because Paul's understanding of life and because of his wisdom and being filled with the Holy Ghost, he knows Timothy is going to have to deal with some stuff. He knows there's some things he's going to have to understand. And so he's trying to help, amen, the next generation be prepared for what was to come. How many know that's still important today? 
Amen. That's still very valuable today. That's why we put in so much into the next generation. It's why we put into our kids and we put into our youth. Amen. And that's not something we should just be relying on the church to do, by the way. Amen. We should all be helping to do that. If you have a testimony or you have a a lesson that you've learned in life, if you've learned something the hard way, it might behoove you to pull some teenagers aside and tell your story a little bit. I'm not saying you have to be asked by the youth pastor or myself to schedule a night. I'm saying just grab some of them after a service and say, let me tell you something that might help. Amen? How many, would, how many have gone through some things in life that you wish somebody might have said something? Have you ever just said, well, how come nobody told me that? I wasn't expecting that. And then you go tell people what, about it, and they're like, oh, yeah, I remember when I went through that. Really? We're supposed to show love one to another. That doesn't sound like love. Well, they'll figure it out. Amen. We can help the next generation, can't we? We can help others. And Paul is very much helping Timothy in the things that he is doing and teaching him. Uh, And so he is empowering him and preparing him, especially that which would affect his faith. Especially that. And so that we are, see some of this stuff presented in Timothy, and some of it is presented to Timothy and to us as prophetic warnings to not be ignorant of these things, to not be unaware of them. First Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 2, you can turn there, and we'll be in First Timothy and Second Timothy a little bit. But if you look at chapter 4, and verses 1 through 2, he said, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly. That in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith. Now, you can do a study of latter times here. There's a little bit of a, I don't know, depends on how many commentaries you look at. Some people are talking, they say latter times means that the time like right after this, and others reflect it as the opposite of the beginning of times, which means the last of times, or the last of days. I don't know, frankly, that it matters a whole lot in what we're talking about here tonight, it, what it's, the point is, is there's going to come a time. Everybody understand? There will come a time. He says, in the latter times, that some shall depart from the faith. Everybody say, depart from. Some shall depart from the faith. Why? Giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Now, first, let's acknowledge that it says some, and it doesn't say all. I think it's important that Christians acknowledge that it says some will depart from the faith. It doesn't say everybody's going to depart from the faith. It doesn't say most are going to depart from the faith. It simply says that there will be some that will depart from the faith. So it's not really a reason for Christians to just question everything. It's not a reason for us to just assume that we're going to have to have some sort of internal struggle with our faith at some point. I don't believe that. I don't believe that every Christian at some point has to just come into this big internal struggle about, do I really believe what I believe, and is this really real, and all of that. Not if you've been following the process of development that God offers us in our life. The process of growth and understanding, if we're studying the word, if our relationship with God is growing and and is intact, I don't believe that we just have to go through, at some point, I'm just going to struggle in my faith. Amen. And so it does say some, but it does not say all. 
Because some people choose to do something else does not mean that they have found something better. Amen. We should have learned by now that public opinion and popularity are not in any way always associated with what is right. We should know that by now. This, this generation should be very aware of that. That it does not in any way automatically mean that it's right just because it's popular or because everyone's doing it. Now, I can't remember if I shared this illustration or not. It seems like it wasn't that long ago that I saw it, but if I did, you'll just, you know, act like it's your first time. But I, I, I did see a, a video recently of uh, they were doing kind of this life experiment on how people would react. Maybe you've seen this one where they're on an elevator and the elevator's pretty full of people and they're all, they all turn, they're all in it on it together and they all turn and face the wall instead of the door. And then they go to the next floor and a person gets on the elevator and kind of looks and just kind of steps over to the side but continues to face the door. Everyone else is facing the back wall. Very abnormally, right? You always turn and face the door. That's what you're supposed to do. If you didn't know that, that's what you're supposed to do. Some of these young ladies seem a little surprised up here. That's what I've been doing wrong the whole time. No, you turn and you face the door because that's where you're going to go out. But the person who got on turned and faced the door, even though everyone else was facing the wall. You could tell they were a little whatever, but they had their phone out, which is today's comfort system. So they were just looking at their phone and trying not to, you know. But then they came to the next floor, and the doors open, and two or three of the people all turned around and walked off, and two or three more people who were in on it got in, and they also faced the wall. Well, I don't know if it was the third floor or the fourth floor, but finally this one person slowly kind of turned and faced the wall because that's what everybody else was doing, so that must be the right thing to do. And they were running this scenario, and of course it goes into the whole idea of groupthink and all of that kind of stuff. It's funny, uh, but at the same time, every day, People make bad decisions that are going to affect their lives because of what other people are doing. And even if what other people are doing doesn't make any sense, it has no foundation, it has no truth. You say, well, I, I, I thought we were talking about the faith. We are. We're talking about people who will depart from the faith. Depart from the faith which has an incredible foundation. Depart from the faith, which has this, this, this word of God, this holy book that people have been trying to get rid of for generation after generation, and all they do is keep proving it to be true. Depart from the faith that's, ba that's based upon that. Depart from the faith, some of them, who their lives were completely messed up when they came in contact with the faith. And then God transformed them miraculously in their life, turned everything around, put a foundation on their feet, put joy in their heart, and yet some will still depart from the faith for what? Is there something better? I haven't found it. 
Is there something better? None of the people that in my ministry that have come to church who have tried everything the world has to offer, none of them have ever said, well, there's actually something better, but I'll settle for this. Amen. It will grow increasingly more necessary for you to be confident in the faith as this culture that we are in continues to grow and tries to dictate belief, behavior in our culture today. It's increasingly more necessary that you know what you believe. I'm not, I didn't say that you can quote every scripture in the Bible. I didn't say that, that you, you could, you know, you're, you're just a genius when it comes to the Bible. I'm talking about the faith that you are confident and know that my salvation is only in and can only be in Jesus Christ, that the death, the burial, and the resurrection, amen, as applied unto my life is absolutely necessary for salvation. Paul tells Timothy what to watch out for when he says the Spirit speaketh expressly. Back to that verse again. He says, in latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Doctrines of devils is quite a phrase to read, isn't it? Doctrines of devils. We think of, you know, the apostles' doctrine. But have you considered that the devils have their own doctrine? That they have their own. Some will begin to give heed to or begin to have confused views even about demonic things or demonic ideologies. They will begin to consider things that they had never considered before and put value on things that they never put value on before, which is the doctrine, the Bible says, of devils. Views that are not in line with the example of the teaching of Christ. They're not in line with the word, but yet some still will be seduced by them. Remember to the disciples who would establish the first church, Jesus, empowered Matthew 10, he gave to the 12 power over unclean spirits, right? And Mark 6, they were casting out demons, well, if they needed power over them and they needed to be casted out, they were probably not a good thing. Probably not worth listening to. You never see Jesus having long dialogue with the devil. You never see him having long dialogue with demon-possessed, uh, demon-possessed people or the demons within them. There was no acceptance approach when it came to these things. It was no, like, well, it's not good, but it's not bad. But the time will come when it will be more acceptable, even desirable to some. Amen. The doctrine of devils or the teachings of devils. And what is one of the things that they attempt to teach? In Luke 7, 33, 34, I find this very interesting. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine. This is Jesus speaking to them. And you said about him that he had a devil because he was fasting and he, was, he lived his life differently than you did. And you said that he had a devil. And so the Son of Man has come, eating and drinking. And you say, behold, a gluttonous man and a wine bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. 
But what does this approach do? What, what, is, what are they trying to accomplish here? What are these people that are being driven by evil? What are these people whose motivation is evil, whose end result is demonic? What is their motivation to say that John the Baptist had a devil? In John 7 and 12, it says, And there was much murmuring among the people concerning him, for some said, He is a good man, and others said, Nay, but he deceiveth the people. Why would they do that? Why would they use that phraseology? Why would they even speak those kind of words? Why do they, if people that are operating in the devil's playbook, why would they even want to bring attention to the word devil? But what you see is they being driven and being persuaded by demonic things are actually accusing someone like John the Baptist and Jesus himself of having a devil. And it causes some of the people to say, no, we think he's a good man. But it causes some of the people to say, no, we don't think he's a good man. Because it breeds confusion. In that confusion, which was created by the doctrine of devils, they go so far as to call John the Baptist a devil. And then of Jesus, when they wanted to kill him, and he called them out on it, Remember, they hadn't really said it out loud publicly yet. It was something that they were only saying in the shadows and in their hearts. And Jesus, of course, being God, reads them and calls them out on it. In John 7, 20, the people answered and said, Thou hast a devil who goeth about to kill thee. Who goes about? Who, who, what, you, you, what do you mean we're trying to kill you? You just have a devil. They were trying to kill him. They had already planned on killing them. They've already talked about killing them. They're looking for an opportunity to kill them. And he calls them out on what's in their heart. And they say, you're crazy thinking anybody would want to kill you. You must have a devil. They accused him publicly of having a devil because he called them out. They accused him of being what they were. John 8, 48 and 49, then answered the Jews and said unto him, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan and hast a devil? And Jesus answered and said, I have not a devil, but I honor my father and you do dishonor me. I don't have a devil. He's like, but, but you know. <laughs> and I know what's really going on. And then Jesus makes a statement about the faith and the faith leading to eternal life, and they immediately attempt to confuse the subject and make it about death and not about life. And John 8, 52 and 53, then said the Jews unto him, now we know that thou hast a devil. Abraham is dead and the prophets, and now sayest, if a man keep my saying, he shall never taste of death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? Has anybody ever been in one of these arguments before? Have you ever been in one of these arguments? Jesus is talking about how they can have eternal life. And they turn it and they say, you're a devil. You think you're better than Abraham? Abraham died. Was that the conversation? Was that what Jesus wanted to talk about? No. You think you're greater than our father Abraham, which is dead, and the prophets are dead? Whom makest thou thyself? 
Notice the doctrine of devils has no problem using Abraham and the prophets. They have no problem eluding to Abraham and the prophets, even using them illustratively in their message, so to speak, in this moment. They don't deny them. They even celebrate them in this moment. But they are trying to confuse the issue about being about death when Jesus is trying to talk about life. Jesus is talking about eternal life through faith in him. Jesus is trying to get them to understand that before they were, I was, or I am, that I am. He was trying to get them to understand about the faith and the salvation of of, of our soul through him. That's what he was trying to get them to do, but they couldn't let that happen because the devils know. They already understand that. They're not the ones that are confused. They're the ones trying to breed the confusion They would rather you discuss and argue about whether someone has the right to talk about eternal life than to actually look yourself in the mirror and think, am I prepared for my eternity? They would rather you argue and argue and argue an endless dialogue, and they talk about that here in a second. They would rather you do that than actually do something about your eternal soul salvation. Notice the work that they do here the doctrines of devils is not about asking you to sacrifice yourself unto Satan. At first, it's just about getting you to consider a new doctrine outside of Christ. It's just first about confusion, about not letting you fully commit to this thing that our God has done so much to provide for us just not fully committing to that and then breeding confusion so that maybe I might pay attention to something else. Amen. Look at the word here, seduced, it says. Seduced from the faith. First Timothy 4 and 1 calls them seducing spirits, which means imposter or misleader or deceiver. The seducing spirits spirits only influence those, it says, who give heed to or means to hold your mind towards or to pay attention to or to adhere to. So this is important that we get this. And you got to remember, Paul's trying to prepare Timothy. He's trying to prepare him, right? So he says there's going to be these seducing spirits who are, trying to, are going to try to get you to give heed to them, or they're going to want to have your mind. They're going to want to have your, your thought processes. They're going to they're grab your attention, your focus. They're going to want you to give yourself to them. So therefore, there has to be a, an antidote, so to speak, or there has to be a preemptive thing because Paul's preparing him. So there must be a preemptive thing that Timothy can do so that he is prepared for these. 1 Timothy 1 and 4, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in the faith, so do. He says there's there's things that only lead to confusion and, and complexity beyond necessity. I'm not trying to say that we're supposed to just simplify it down to the, to the very base thing and just dumb the whole thing down. 
But the way that they were going about it, it, some of them were dealing with it at this time, was just endless genealogies. And it's, it's somewhat hard to explain what that means. But there was all this recording and recording and recording that was done. And it was all about connecting themselves back. To, to previous generations and who they were connected to and what that meant and what that person did and how that affected them. It was, long, it was way more than just a family tree. And they were so wrapped up in this and it consumed them so much. And so, and there, there are these endless, it says, genealogies and these fables that they were connected to some of this stuff, which minister questions which bring about and they, the, the questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith. So it just led to confusion and complexity, and it left them with plenty of discourse about and disagreement about things, but not really believing in or giving themselves to the faith. For some, the endless dialogue of confusion became their faith. It became what they believed in. They believed in the argument, the debate, the endless dialogue and discussion. The, the, the just, I just want to make my point, and I don't care what you have to say. I'm just right. 1 Timothy 4 and 13, though, Paul gives Timothy the, the preparation He says, until I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. He says, you know what's important about that? Is that phrase, give attendance to, is the same exact meaning as the phrase, give heed to. He said there would be some seducing spirits that people would give heed to, which meant to give their mind towards, to pay attention to, to adhere to. But the Apostle Paul tells Timothy to prepare for that. You need to give heed to or give your mind to or give attendance to the reading and the exhortation and to the doctrine. That's how you prepare for it. The Christian life is not just reactive. It cannot be just reactive. My son said something interesting to me recently. Uh, we were talking about someone who had not grown up around the church at all, no, no faith, nothing, until they got older. And they were, they were using a scripture, and they were talking about how when, when they found that scripture, it gave them such comfort based off of what they had been through. And he said that that was interesting because of our life and his life being in church his whole life, my life being in church my whole life, I knew most of the scriptures before I went through the things that I needed the scriptures for. You notice the difference. There is, there is not knowing any of it and then having all these things that you have to go through in life and then finding out at some point that the Bible actually speaks on these subjects and the Bible actually gives 
direction on these things, and there's actually things you can learn and apply to your life so that you don't have to go into some of those dark places and some of those horrible things. That, and that's wonderful that people come to that realization so that they can make that change in their life and, and begin to learn and grow. But there's also something very powerful if you have the opportunity to learn those scriptures and prepare with those scriptures in your mind and in your heart before you ever even have to fight a battle where that scripture comes out. Amen? There's something special about that and powerful about that. And all of us should understand that no matter where, where or when we got into this thing, whether we were born in it or we're really new in it, we still got a lot of life to live. And it's, so it can't just be reactive. I can't just go study the Bible when I have to find some way to get out of the mess I'm in. The answers are in the Bible, and I'm thankful for that. And we have things that we can help people when they are in the mess. But there's something special about the Word of God, the fact that it's been preserved and the fact that it's still here. It's not just so that we'll have some reactive response. It's so that we'll, give, it, we'll adhere to it, that we'll put our mind to it, that we'll put our heart into it, that we'll say, I want to get in this thing so that I'll be prepared for what's coming. And what's coming is seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And we're, we can either fight that battle without, or we can prepare for that by giving attendance to the reading and the exhortation and to the doctrine. We've got to be diligent to his word because the seduction will get strong. And many will go as far as to create new Christs. Mark 13 tells us, and then if any man shall say to you, lo, here is a Christ, or lo, he is there, believe him not. For false Christs and false prophets shall rise and shall show signs and wonders to seduce, if it were possible, even the elect. But take ye heed, behold, I have foretold you all things. He says there's gonna come false Christs and they're gonna try to seduce even the elect. But once again, you can prepare for this if you'll take heed, there's that phrase again, to the things that God has already told us and already given us. God is not coming up with new weapons because the devil's coming up with new ways of attacking us. God has already got everything that we need. It's already all the things you could possibly need to overcome the evil of this world and to live, amen, in this faith is already given to us. Amen. So we can navigate around these snares and these traps and these pits by simply staying focused on what our one Lord gave us as our one faith and not giving heed to another. Paul tries to help Timothy to understand the avenues that lead to evil. In one case, he makes these statements in 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 8. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. He uses three sentences in a row, three verses in a row, to try to drive home a point. You say, why is that so important, this contentment thing? Why is it so important? What is the value of contentment in this life? First Timothy 6, 9 through 10. But they that 
will be rich, fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves. That one always gets me. Every time I see that, it gets me. Pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Every time I see that verse, I hate that. And that may not be the only time that phrase is there, but it always gets me because it's bad enough that the devil's trying to shoot his fiery darts. But people are piercing themselves. We know, and I don't need to go into this. We we teach about money around here once a year. We get into it. We dig into it. You know where we are all on that. The Bible's not saying that you're not allowed to have money or wealth. But it does talk about where our drive and our focus and our, what our passion in life is. Or it simply just says the love of. The love of it that we're so desperate to have it. We pursue it so much that we don't have contentment. You say, well, all I'm losing is contentment. No, you're losing a lot more than contentment. Which, by the way, is a big thing. Amen. Amen. I'll take contentment over money any day. Contentment's huge, but it's, it, you're not just sacrificing contentment because it says this process can lead others to err. Amen. They, they err from the faith, even. It can even be something that causes them to err from the faith. There are things that can be obtained that will hurt our ability to retain our faith. I want to say that again. There are things in this life that can be obtained that can hurt our ability to retain our faith. Amen. So we we need to understand that there are temptations and traps and snares and things that are built within what seems to be worthy endeavors or even worthy desires in life. But if we err from the faith, that means that we are not adhering to or our mind is not towards or we have not prepared ourselves in advance. Amen? And so we can fall for the traps. Erred from the faith means to be led away or seduced. Led away or seduced. The seduction of a new doctrine can be weakened greatly when you already know what you believe. The seduction of the new is not quite as strong when you're very happy with what you already have. Amen? When you're not happy or satisfied or content or, or, or maybe you don't even know what you really have and someone comes along with a real shiny new thing, That can be tempting. But when you love what you already have, they can come along with the new whatever and you'll just be like, no, thank you. The seduction of the new falls short when you already know what you believe. Like Paul, we must be able to declare in Romans 8, for I am persuaded. 
I'm persuaded that neither death or life or angels or principalities or powers or things present or things to come or height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. The love of God. The love of God is what brought salvation to the world. It's the love of God that first loved us. It's the love of God that sent his only begotten son. It's the love of God that gives us the ability to be saved at all. The love of God which is in Christ Jesus. It's in Christ Jesus. Paul says it like this to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1 and 12. For the which cause I also suffer these things. I, I, I've had to suffer a few things in life. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. It's really hard to get a Paul to turn his ear towards seducing spirits when he says, you know what, I've had some good times and I've had some bad times, but I know in whom I believe and I know he's going to keep me all the way into the end. I'm saying there's some conversations you don't have to have with the devil. That's what I'm saying. There's some conversations you don't have to have with people who are working for the devil, if I can just say it that way. There are some conversations uh, that I don't have to sit there and analyze and think about it and wonder if, uh, hey man, if you're presenting something to me uh, that is contrary to my salvation in Jesus Christ, uh, then we don't even have to have this conversation because I know in whom I believe and I am persuaded of it. Amen. Paul writes this during his second and final prison term. His life is coming to an end. This is wisdom of, of a lived life. But we see his confidence level is, is based upon not where he's at or what he's going through. It's based upon what he knows. Oh, hallelujah. It's what he knows. It is a devastating way to live life. If where you are at at any given moment or what you are going through at any given moment has total control over your life. It's a devastating way to live your life. And it's unnecessary. Because when you know, I said this recently, maybe there's a theme going on here. But I, I said something recently about the Apostle Paul when he was talking about uh, death and, and, and uh, gra the grave and all that. It, 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 you take a lot of the weapons out of the devil's hands when you're persuaded. You take a lot of weapons out of his hands when you know in what you believe. The conversation can be very short when the devil tempts you with something and you just say, get thee behind me, Satan. It is written. <laughs> I know what the Bible says. Right? Amen. It can be a short conversation. It doesn't have to be a long dialogue. I don't, have to, I don't have to analyze it and agonize over it for a week. I don't have to go and, 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 and believe you me, I love weeping in an altar just like the next person. I love the altar. I love weeping, shouting, dancing in an altar. But... Everything that you go through in life, everything that's presented to you doesn't have to be brought to an altar because I already know the answer. I've already got the answer from the word. 
I've already given my mind into the study, into the, the reading of it, and the exhortation of it, and the knowledge of it. And so I don't have to, I don't have to agonize over that in an altar because I already know. That must really frustrate the devil. And I'm for anything that frustrates the devil. Right? His confidence level is based upon what he knows to be true. The faith that he has is what kept him. For I am now ready to be offered, 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8, I am now ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand. But I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. I love the confidence. I love the surety. There is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them that also love his appearing. Amen. Don't you want to have that kind of confidence in life? Don't you want to have that kind of confidence, not only today, but when your end of days comes? Don't you want to have that confidence if you're laying in a hospital bed? Don't you want to have that kind of confidence if you're going through a difficult time? To be able to say, I fought a good fight. Amen, that's a powerful thing to be able to say it like that. He doesn't say, I hope I fought a good fight. I'm really hoping I did enough. He's not kind of just saying, well, we'll see. That's not where Paul's at. He's not saying, well, we'll see. When I take my last breath, I hope, I hope I open my eyes in, in heaven. You know, I hope they let me in. He says, I fought a good fight. And I finished my course. I did the things that I was supposed to do. I did the things that God wanted me to do. I did the things that God was asking of me to do. And then right before his final amen on the matter, in 2 Timothy 4.18, he says this, And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Oh, that's some confidence right there. You don't get that, listen, that's not, you don't get that level of confidence from just hearing a good message somewhere. And I love preaching. And I love preachers. And I love listening to preaching and teaching and all of it. But you don't get that kind of confidence from just seeing someone else or hearing someone else or whatever. You get that kind of confidence from committing yourself to the word of God, committing yourself to a knowledge and an understanding of God, committing yourself to a relationship with God. You get that kind of confidence. Thank you for listening to our podcast this week. We hope you enjoyed this message. Remember, if you would like to find out more information about our church or to contact us, please go online at connectpointupc.com. And also don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app so you will be automatically notified of new episodes. Thank you and we hope you have a great week. Thank you.